Winja, our blood, our people. Welcome to this week's episode of Warfare, Advancement, and Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I am your host. I'd like to thank everyone for joining me this week. Um, I know this is a little bit delayed, uh, a little bit further than what I was expecting, uh, but I am uh, finally uh, kind of settled back in after the Labor Day weekend, and I hope you all enjoy. So, uh, for this week's special bonus episode, we're going to be talking about a little piece of media that I had just finished up um, maybe about a month, month and a half ago at most. And um, I had hoped to actually finish it a lot earlier, um, kind of during our 10,000 BC uh, season, season two. Um, but I was delayed for a number of reasons, um, and it just kind of got away from me. Um, so we're going to go ahead and uh, take care of that now. Um, there's no not going to be any theme music this week. I was having a technical issue with the file. I've got it. I think I've got it fixed, and if not, I do have a back uh, backup save that I can uh, get it ready for uh, next week's episode, uh, which will be out at its regular time, and will be um, back to our, uh, I guess, our canon, as it were, our actual real events. Uh, but the game we're going to be covering, and it is a game, a uh, piece of media that we're going to be covering, is Far Cry Primal. Um, now, Far Cry Primal is set uh, during 10,000 BC, BCE, and it um, is an action-adventure game. And it was initially released on February the 23rd in 20, uh, two, 2016, uh, originally for... Uh, the Xbox One and PS4 consoles. Uh, it was released on PC around a week later in March, I believe. Um, now, uh, this game was... Oh, excuse me. Um, yeah, in March. Uh, March 1st. Uh, sorry. Uh, now, um, this was developed by uh, Ubisoft Montreal, and uh, it was published by Ubisoft directly. Um, Ubisoft has a um, number of kind of regional um, sub-departments and developers, so uh, it can make it kind of hard to um, keep some of their teams, uh, I guess, uh, track to figure out who was who. Uh, but um, in Ubisoft Montreal is not was the primary team, but they also had some of their other teams, including uh, Ubisoft Toronto, Singapore, and Kiev. Or Kiev, excuse me. Now, um, in this game, again set during 10,000 BC, you play as a hunter slash warrior known as Takar. Uh, he belongs to a tribe known as the Winja, and that's W-E-N-J-A. Um, and he, along with some of his um, bandmates are traveling and hunting some woolly mammoths uh, following uh, to them to try and get to the land of Oros that's O-R-O-S um, because that is the home to uh, other groups of Winja uh, who have been beset by another tribe known as the Udam and that's U-D-A-M Now, that is kind of the framing story. Um, 
you only are with your hunting band very shortly. It's kind of given you as a, a brief tutorial on how to use spears. Um, I won't get into specifics, but you are eventually separated from this band you are with. Uh, and then from there, you are taught how to craft replacement materials uh, using uh, stone, wood that you're finding. Uh, you are taught to create uh, medical supplies um, and, you know, uh, basically how to survive on your own, at least initially. Uh, and then you continue your journey alone to try to get to the land of Oros. Um, now, where this place is meant to be is, um, I believe from the development diaries and things I've read, it is meant to be kind of in a place uh, not far from the Caucasus Mountains, somewhere that had a bit of an ice cap or glacier over it during the Younger Dryas period, and then as that ice cap retreated, um, you know, this land has become fertile and filled with a number of, you know, um, animals and plants that, you know, make it fantastic for survival. And this fertility has, you know, been a major cause for, um, the conflict between the um, Winja and the Udam. And to further complicate matters, uh, there are also groups from the south. Uh, this group is known as the Izila. The, that's I-Z-I-L-A. Um, and you, of course, uh, being the Winja, will have to kind of um, deal with those threats and one way or the other. Now, uh, for those of you unaware, Far Cry is a kind of a, in general, it's an action-adventure genre uh, where you have an open-world environment, and then uh, it's all first-person, so you just see your, your characters, what your character is looking at. You don't really see your character. Your character doesn't really have a face or anything like that. Um, it kind of allows you to you know, imagine yourself uh, as this blank slate. Um, and usually the personality that the characters have are all very um, kind of uh, bland or just completely absent. Um, now to kind of give a breakdown of um, what you're looking at in terms of uh, people who made it, uh, it was directed by a couple of people, uh, Thomas Simon and Jean-Christophe Guyot. Uh, Ubisoft is a French-Canadian company. And when I say French-Canadian, I mean French as in France and Canadian as in Canada. Uh, but there is a very big overlap, uh, of course, in the French-Canadian part as well. Um, it was programmed by uh, David Robillard and Jean-Philippe Harvey. And the producer is Vincent Potebrand. Uh, and I know I butchered his name. Uh, but the writers are Jean-Sébastien uh, Jean Decamp. Ian Ryan and Kevin Short and um, this game actually does a fairly good job in a number of areas in terms of historiosity it's not at all perfect there is some ridiculous over-the-top set pieces and action stuff uh, which you know makes it a fun game uh, but very bad history but that's not to say it's all bad uh, there are definitely 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 elements of them trying to capture the spirit of the times uh, that you're supposed to be living in. And that is stuff they do very well um, in terms of 
um, characters and characterization and um, in terms of gameplay. Uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's done really, really well. Um, and one of those things that was done very well is language. Um, it was um, uh, basically they decided, okay, so this is kind of sort of supposed to be in the Caucasus, uh, which is one of the regions where, um, you know, uh, the Proto-Indo-European language is thought to have arisen. Uh, however, the oldest that that language is thought to have been is around 4000 BCE is when it's kind of suggested to have lived. So they wanted to kind of go back and make a Proto-Proto-Indo-European. And to do this, they worked with uh, Andrew and I believe Brenna Bird. Uh, this is, a, I believe, a husband-wife team. Uh, but Andrew is a professor at the University of Kentucky, uh, is where he's at currently. I'm not sure if he was there when the game was in development. Um, but they developed, um, you know, a reasonably um, robust um, language. I think it has around 1,200 vocabulary words. Um, give or take, might be a little bit more, might be a little bit less than that. So, kind of, you know, take take that what you will. And in fact, uh, Winja, the name for the tribe uh, of these people, uh, means family in in Proto-Indo-European. So that isn't actually word actual word they kept. They they kind of made it seem like, well, they didn't make it seem like it. They basically said it that. Um, that this is something that this is a word that has endured all that time, uh, even um, to the seven thousand years after you know the game takes place, and it's still the basis for um, you know family in the Proto-Indo-European language or Pi, as it's sometimes referred to as. Um, the other languages that they developed were um, the. Um, the Izula language. Um, it had uh, about 1,200 uh, words as well, so roughly between the two of them you have around 2,400 words. Um, but they they weren't entirely um, distinct. They, they, they have... Um, they also based uh, uh, the Izula language on Pi, but they used different um, different, I guess, um, words for different things in terms of uh, their different technologies. The Azila are slightly more advanced. Uh, they practice uh, agriculture and they have, um, you know, a goddess uh, cult that specifically worships the sun and moon. Uh, they have an idea of sacrifice, which is something we haven't talked about yet, but that's not something that's necessarily done at this early stage of human development. Um, so the idea is that these two languages will eventually, you know, merge and form, you know, the, kind of the Proto-Indo-European, but they're also related to each other. Uh, so it means that these people are coming from the same place, and that's how they're kind of able to communicate. Uh, the third tribe, the Udam, 
they don't have a specific language as far as I know. I think you can understand everything of what they say minus their uh, guttural, uh, you know, grunts and like war cries and that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm trying to find my notes here. Okay, and so that leads us into kind of um, who these peoples are. So um, the Winja are kind of, I guess, they're kind of depicted as um, sort of Cro-Magnon, which isn't a term I've used too much, but essentially Cro-Magnon is the term for the uh, first waves of Homo sapiens that moved into Europe. Um, you know, and it did the initial population of the continent for Homo sapiens. Um, the Izila are the Homo sapiens who were from Asia, uh, who have developed uh, a little bit further in terms of sedentary societies, technologies, that kind of thing. Um, and then the Udam are pretty heavily hinted to be Neanderthals, uh, which, you know, immediately kind of poses a problem because Neanderthals had, you know, died out around 30,000 years ago. So this is a very small group that has somehow survived in this kind of isolated area. At least that's kind of the idea I got. So it's either that or the uh, Winja are like the first people to leave Asia with this kind of little bit more advanced technology, and the Udam are the uh, Cro-Magnons who, you know, more heavily interbred with Neanderthals. But um, I think from the way the uh, Udam work, it's pretty clear that they're um, that they're supposed to be kind of the last generation of uh, Neanderthals. Um, they suffer from a kind of a brain, uh, like a brain fever, uh, or a burning brain, as sometimes they use to describe the, the kind of things that they're experiencing. Um, and it's heavily implied that this is um, that this is due to their uh, living in uh, kind of a poisonous environment, kind of surrounded by this toxic uh, fumes from, I guess, like a like a natural. Um, gas, you know, vent, or it's possible it's from, like, um, the, uh, fungus mushrooms that kind of grow around their camps, uh, but it's also probably heavily related to their, uh, practice of cannibalism, uh, one of the big environmental storytelling things you run into is the fact that these people are, uh, you know, eating, uh, in addition to, you know, wild animals that they're killing, they're, they're eating other humans, both the Izila and the, uh, the Winja. Uh, and I forget the name of that term. I think it's um, it's like encephalopathy, uh, encephalopathy uh, which is you know when you the disease you'll get for you know consuming too much uh, human flesh, especially when you're eating the brain. Um, it's kuru. I think is another is another version of like um, of the disease. Uh, and, you know that includes headaches. You know you'll you'll have like insane laughter, and you know you're eventually as you get older your hands and all that will shake you're prone a lot more to trembling um they remind me very much of the um of the window from um i'm trying to remember the name of the book eaters of the dead uh which was michael crichton book um but it was eventually turned into the movie the 13th warrior which is actually a really good movie and i, I want to do an episode on that eventually um with antonio banderas in it um 
pretty good, pretty good film and a decent book as well. In fact, I might like the book a little bit better. But the window were like a leftover of, um, you know, kind of Cro-Magnons that are living in the, you know, Scandinavia, and they're kind of, um, uh, you know, harassing the Norse that live in the area, and they're they're cannibals, and they dress up like bears, and they have completely different religions and customs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's pretty good. Um, uh, and the Azila, they are worshippers of a sun goddess, um, or a sun, yeah, I believe it's a goddess. Uh, it might be, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a sun goddess and a moon god. Um, so they kind of have that, um, that dichotomy, which, you know, something you run into in, in actual history. Um, they are led by uh, a woman known as uh, Azila. Um, she is um, special to them because she was born during a solar eclipse. Uh, so, um, sorry, Matari is the name of the high priestess. She's their leader. She is um, special again because she is the son's daughter, is what they call her. Uh, and the Udam are led by Ul. He's kind of um, very brutal, um, taller than you know, pretty much everyone else. Uh, scarred face. He's got very cool-looking bone armor. <laughs> um, and, yeah. Um, and this kind of, you know, this kind of brings me to the kind of one of the weakier parts of, of the game. Uh, and that is the story. Um, now, I talked about how the, you know, the dialogue is limited to those, you know, 1,200 words, which for creating a language from scratch and just kind of working your way back from Pi, that's pretty damn impressive. Um, I don't think the technical aspect of it, you know, is very, um, it, or the, it, that can't be undersold. That's really impressive, and it's a lot of work to put in a game, just a video game, or, you know, it, it, you know, all credit to the people who worked on this. That's, it's fantastic. Um, but, uh, you know, 2,400 words isn't, you know, the best way to kind of, um, run a, <laughs> or to kind of, um, I guess, uh, tell a story, at least in the modern, uh, world. Um, but, that being said, um, the game does do a very good job of environmental storytelling, showing you, not telling you. Uh, that is, I think, one of the game's stronger, uh, accent, uh, uh, stronger points, excuse me. And, uh, this encourages you to go out and, uh, explore the world and really get a feeling of what you're looking at and what you're having to deal with, so, um, which is a good, yeah, that's a great thing for an open world game to do, encourages you to explore the world. Um, but I do think uh, sometimes the tone of the story is not necessarily matching the kind of um, tone of the gameplay or what you yourself are experiencing, like what you're actually doing in the world doesn't kind of necessarily match up with the story overall being told. Um, and it's not to say the story is bad. Uh, I think it's, again, um, I'm not going to spoil anything, but kind of how it wraps up uh, the story of the Udam, the Winja, and the Azila um, 
kind of does a good job of showing how groups can uh, change air, you know, um, how, you know, peoples might have broken apart, combined, come back together, uh, broken apart again, all that kind of stuff. So, um, at that level, though it's small and uh, not necessarily the best explained, uh, either through narrative or through environmental storytelling, uh, again, for the main story, um, it, it does, I think, kind of capture some ideas of what things could have been like. Um, now, for some of the uh, worst historical points, um, some of the technology is really ridiculous. Um, some of it's fine. Some of it's, you know, perfectly in line with what you would expect, uh, like how the weapons themselves look. Um, that's very true of the early uh, weapons as you progress through the game and you um, collect more resources and uh, hunt, um, you know, animals to get specific skins or, you know, pieces to um, give to your members or your tribe so they'll help you out more and give you better stuff. Um, your weapons evolve. Uh, in some cases, I don't think they're particularly accurate. They look cooler, which is, you know, always a good part of a game to kind of uh, incentivize you. Um, but then there's some stuff that's just, like, out of the... You know, just ridiculous. It's it's fun. Don't get me wrong. Like, um, you get access to bee bombs. Uh, essentially, you, you place bees in a clay pot, and you throw it, and it explodes. And, it, you know, <laughs> it's very good for killing heavily armored enemies. Um, you come up with essentially um, uh, poisonous gas bombs from you know, those uh, those fumes from those funguses I was talking about that are affecting uh, the udam. Uh, that is something you create as well, also through clay pots. Um, which, again, we've talked about in uh, uh, warfare, um, biological warfare in the past. Uh, we know from very early on humans were... Um, experimenting with ricin-esque um, things in the south of Africa. The San and the Koi are, specifically the San, are very good at creating powerful poisons uh, for their bows to hunt down uh, larger animals. And um, so it's not, you know, outside the realm of possibility that, you know, we knew something about creating toxins or uh, hallucinogens or anything like that. However, um, using them as a type of gas grenade, I think, is a little outside of the realm of the feasible. Also, uh, pottery does not exist uh, in this part of the world yet. Um, even the peoples who are coming from uh, Mesopotamia and the Levant and Anatolia are still in the pre-pottery Neolithic stage at best, if they're not at the very end of the Middle Stone Age, uh, which is also very likely. Um, so, you know, take all that with a grain of salt. Also, I think several of the animals that are depicted, uh, I'm sure some of them are actually already extinct, but again, you run into that thing with, like, well, the Neanderthals survived maybe the humans survived here as well. Um, mammoths are a big part of it. Um, from the so from the few lines you get uh, from dialogue, it, it does appear that the mammoth population is dropping rapidly, um, mainly due to overhunting, 
uh, specifically the Udam are mentioned as big over hunters um, because they use their bones for these big fortifications and bone trees, which, um, you know, did happen. But again, not by Neanderthals. This is something humans did. So this, again, kind of throws questions on, you know, who is doing what and who these people actually are supposed to be. Um, and again, also the Azila, you know, they, they also bring agriculture, which um, it's full-scale agriculture. It doesn't seem to be like this random horticulture. They are actively gaining seeds uh, and taking it to places to be planted. They're not leaving the wild strains um, behind, um, which, again, I think is, a you know, maybe a thousand years too early for this to happen, but um, it's, it's kind of hard to say. Also, the Azila kind of have a very Aztec-y uh, feel, like their sun worshippers, uh, and their, their armor is very reminiscent of Aztec stuff, and they paint themselves in this kind of blue or blue-green paint, uh, which is not something I think you see really in uh, the Old World. Most Old World paintings from this period of, of people, or at least it is usually red ochre. Um, but that actually is something else that the game does well. Uh, there's cave paintings. They're almost all done with uh, red ochre, uh, black, char, coal material, and white, which are the primary colors that you'll find all over the world. There's not, as far as I'm aware, um, any other place in the world that uses any other color at this point in time, with the exception of, I think, some caves in Spain. They kind of had like this purplish ochre, um, but uh, that was only used in Spain very rarely. In fact, I think it may have been even um, after this point in time. So uh, very, very well done, even if some of the uh, details are very um, over-dramatized. Like the, they're depicting humans a lot more than what you would expect. Usually these kind of things are animals, but... Um, it's still very well done, actually very accurate uh, for the most part. Uh, now for the negatives. I've already mentioned how the story's a little uh, bland or dry. Um, it is very poorly optimized for some newer systems. Um, I was playing the PlayStation 4 version on my PlayStation 5. I had a huge problem with crashes. Um, it didn't happen so much in the early part of the game, but after a couple of hours and I unlocked more of the map um, and got, you know, crazier abilities where you're having to switch um, between weapons and uh, your animals and all that kind of stuff, um, you are running into uh, a lot more issues with the game freezing up or just out and out crashing. Um, and you know, I have on my YouTube channel, I have, you know, clips of, or full live streams of me playing, uh, and it's, it's bad for certain days. Some days I could only go like an hour before it crashed, and then I'd play another hour and it crashed again, which, you know, when I'm planning to sit down and, you know, do a, you know, kind of talk about stuff with my viewers, it's, it's very frustrating. So, um, very poorly optimized, at least for modern consoles. I haven't actually played it on the older ones. Um, I'm not a huge Far Cry fan. It's it's a fun series, but it's not necessarily my cup of tea um, most of the time. Uh, so these crashes really, really um, 
you know, kind of put a damper on the whole thing. Um, I don't know if that happens on newer PCs or the Xbox Series X. I can't say that, but uh, if anyone knows, let me know. I would be I would be interested to to learn. Um, also, the game is very slow at the start. Um, it the tutorials they give you are the most basic things possible, which that's not necessarily a problem. I generally enjoy that in games. However, um, they then proceed to expand upon what the game just tells you in the most bare bones way possible by giving you just these walls of text that you have to uh, refer back to um, and you know these are very boring they're very dry they're very technical uh, and uh, I do find reading those type of things but um, there were a couple of uh, pieces of equipment as I unlocked them and I was reading the I guess the tutorial on them it didn't do a good job of telling you uh, what these items could do necessarily. Um, now that again could have been me maybe missing something on my read through. Um, most of the stuff was fairly um, intuitive. However, um, there are these kind of caved in locations, uh, and the game I'm sure told me, but I just missed it because it was there for a split second. But uh, you can break those down with your large two-handed clubs. Um, I went through a good portion of the game not knowing that. I was like, well, when do I get something that'll open these up? And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that was a egg on my face for that, for that realization. But, um, you know, um, the game does do, um, or it could do that sort of thing a little bit better. Um, but again, I understand they're trying to immerse you in this world where you don't have a lot of information. You only have your skills, your uh, friends uh, that you are helping, your tribesmen, uh, and you know what you can find out for yourself, uh, and of course the animals that you're, animals and plants that you're constantly interacting with to um, get materials that you need to survive or um, thrive in certain situations. Um, so for that, again, I think captures a lot of the spirit, even if it's uh, depicted fairly inaccurately in some points. And again, there are a lot of actual, real, historical things in this that are well done. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, the, the crew that developed this and the academics who advised them should get all the props in the world for that. Um, even though I'm sure, you know, the crew had to make a game that was, on, you know, a lot more uh, fun and in keeping with the spirit of the series as a whole um but yeah so that's kind of summing up my thoughts on Far Cry Primal um it's a very easy game to like quote unquote complete uh, to get all the trophies or achievements um there are a number of collectibles kind of spread out where all over the map there are different locations where you'll find certain things you'll find cave paintings of course in caves you have to go diving for them you'll find um, uh, bracelets identifying your people as Winja um, spread through various parts of the Udom land where the Udom had you know taken them and back with or um, you know eaten them or killed them in battle that kind of thing 
Um, and there are other um, locations to explore and uh, collect um, collectibles as well. And the game doesn't require you to find all those to get credit for uh, getting a, a majority of them. Uh, so that's something uh, that I think a lot more open world games could use, especially because collecting everything does not necessarily give you, you know, a, a great uh, reward. Um, the reward, I believe, is the exploration of the world, or at least that's the way they intended it. Um, and this is a very alien world. Like, you wouldn't expect to see this, you know, in the modern place where this is kind of set. Um, you've got these massive redwood trees, conifers that are just beginning to return um, to the area. So this is something that, um, you know, Europe, or where this is supposed to have taken place, um, this isn't, this is not the modern environment, of course, you would expect to see there at all. And that is nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, um, Far Cry Primal, a decent game. Um, I'd give it, I'd give it about a seven, um, maybe a little bit less if, um, if those crashes are regular on, um, other systems. Um, I got it for the very free price of, uh, free, um, so, yeah, I wasn't too torn up about it, um. It's, uh, right now, I believe you can get it for free if you have PlayStation Plus. Um, I believe it's also, um, free if you use Xbox's, um, subscription service, the Game Pass. Um, and I believe it's currently, uh, $30 on Steam, which is probably a little too much for it, if I'm being honest. Uh, the game has not necessarily aged the best. Um, and... Um, there's a lot of assets, I think, that were reused. I don't think it's necessarily, like, you know, something that, uh, was, uh, 100% built from the ground up original. Not that that's a problem. But there are some things, I think, that, um, Ubisoft tends to overuse in some of their games. Uh, the music is incredible, but the sound design, like, for some of your, um, uh, abilities or um, weapons or how they interact with the environment and even some of the animals they reuse a lot of um, sounds for that kind of thing in their other games I know the deers in primal um, show up in Assassin's Creed Origins or yeah which I'm playing right now that's the game I'm currently streaming which is set in Egypt uh, the deer and the antelope make the exact same noise it's it's haunting and <laughs> in terms of uh, what you're having to deal with in certain situations. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a solid game. Uh, I think it's very well reviewed on Steam. I think it's got like a 9 out of 10 there. Uh, but for me personally, um, which again, I'm not the biggest fan of open world action adventure games, but, um, and I, again, part of that is probably because it's showing its age a little and because of all the technical problems I had playing it. Um, but, again, if, if you have um, PlayStation Plus or if you have the Game Pass version um, and you enjoy these type of games, like shooters or, you know, kind of these very heavy, you know, high-octane action games, um, 
yeah, I think you would probably enjoy it more than me. Um, if you're in it for the history, um, unless you know like a lot of really obscure details, um, it's not a very history-focused game, despite it taking place in the past, uh, past and all these actual really nice small historical details you're getting right. Um, that's not enough to sell the game. As a history game, this is... Um, this is very subpar, but as an overall experience, again, it's it's above average. It's it's a solid it's a solid B, I would say. So, um, maybe a C plus, maybe a B minus, but um, yeah. Um, so there you go. Uh, that's the review. Uh, again, I'm sorry this was delayed as much as it was. Um, I left a little bit later to return Monday than I was planning on, and. Um, I got caught up with a couple of things that I had to deal with when I got back to my apartment. So, um, yeah, this was a little bit delayed in the recording. Uh, I hope you all enjoy, and I know this isn't kind of everyone's cup of tea, but uh, for those of you who are listening, um, I hope that you do enjoy. And, you know, if you're looking for a gift for a family member, uh, and, you know, they, you think they may like certain aspects of this, um, yeah. Give it a shot. See what see what they think. Um, but yeah, um, next week we'll have our regular episode out on Mondays as always, uh, and we'll be diving into Europe and also near the Caucasus. So maybe this was a little bit more planned out than I gave myself credit for. But uh, yeah, um, thank you all for joining me. I hope you have a good rest of your week. I hope you had a safe uh, Labor Day. And uh, I will see you all next time. Have a good day.